Thank you. God bless you. I should say God bless you all. We lived on the West Coast for a long time, but we're back in Texas after being on the West Coast for... That's good. Thank you. My wife, Wilma, and I, we grew up in North Texas in a little place called Bowie, which is about 20 miles from the Oklahoma border. My parents were both from Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, and more. Uh, but I, I told the group on Wednesday night, I just have to get this out of the way. Wilma and I both went to the University of Texas at Austin. So if it's, there's any problems there, just deal with it. <laughs> now, it's funny. I was thinking that years ago, we, when we lived in Austin, we were both teachers before we joined Open Doors. And our church where we went used to have an annual summer Bible conference, but a week-long Bible conference. And they would bring really great Bible teachers from all over the country, mainly the South, but really all over the country to teach. And one I remember specifically, I remember several, but one was one of my favorites was an old kind of a country evangelist named Sam Cathy. I don't know if you've ever heard that name, but he was just kind of typical Southern preacher. I think he might have been from Arkansas, but I'm not sure. But he did most of his kind of itinerant evangelism in the South. And I remember he used to come and teach, and he was, he was kind of a pretty straight shooter from the pulpit. I mean, he had the look, he had it all, and... And he would really tell the truth about the Word. But he was hilarious as well. But he could really confront you with the Word. And I remember he was talking one time. And this is a story I've never forgotten. He said uh, that he had gotten invited to preach in what he called a northern church. I think it was Ohio or somewhere. <laughs> yeah, he called it a northern church. And so he's talked about how he made his way from Texas or Arkansas or somewhere up to this church in the north, he, he knew the date he was supposed to be there and he got there a day early to meet with the pastor and kind of get the lay of the land and the logistics and everything. And he, he went into this pastor's study and they talked for a while about the church and what was expected. And, and uh, he said, brother, this, this pastor said, now brother, brother Sam, I just, uh, we're really glad to have you here. I think you're really what our church needs. But uh, he says, I don't know how to say this. And Sam Cathy just said, what do you say it, brother? He said, well, I know your reputation, you're kind of loud, you know, you're, you're, you kind of tell the truth like, you're, like, like it, the word says, and we want that, but Brother Sammy says, we don't have the devil up here like you have him down south. <laughs> and uh, Sam Cathy looks at him and said, well, you may not have had him before, but you got him now. He rode up here with me in the car. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that when I'm in different places. You know, you just, it's like the devil's following you around and different things. But well, we've had just a great time here this week. How many of you are with us on Wednesday night? Any of you? Yeah, that's what I thought. Just a really great time on Wednesday night talking about the Lord and what he's doing around the world. Tonight we're going to focus mainly on this World Watch list. In fact, James, I don't know if it'd be possible. It might be good just to get some of those booklets and pass them out a little bit so you've got a copy of this. Probably if you could just take one per family tonight, that'll leave some for Sunday if we need them or those kind of things. But it'd be good to have reference to this tonight because this is really where we're going to focus on and uh, give you a chance to do that. This is a the World Watch list is something that Open Doors has been doing since probably about 1993. It started out on a very small scale, but we wanted to try to, to really put some data together 
that would show where are the worst places to be a Christian? Where is persecution for those who follow Jesus the greatest? And it became known as the World Watch List. One of my really good friends who's still with the ministry originated this, and I think in 1993, Weibo, and uh, he, he was a great researcher, and he kind of put this, he put the first top 10 list together. And I don't remember, I don't know if this is correct or not, but I think the first time we did a top 10 list, Saudi Arabia was probably the number one on the list. That was 30 years ago. It's still obviously a very difficult country. But over the years, we really uh, accelerated our research effort. We have a really strong research department in the Netherlands where we're based internationally. Uh, and we've, over the years, grown this World Watch list to where it's probably... And I say this in all humility, but it's probably the best researched uh, tool around the world today as far as persecuted Christians. Everybody uses it, including the U.S. State Department, and we put a lot of investment into it to make sure it's the methodology is the methodology is good, as well as we have it vetted by other experts, and it's grown over the years into a really significant annual database that we put together. There's lots of things available that are public that I could help you find if you were looking for specific country information and that kind of thing. But you'll see a lot of that in this World Watch List booklet tonight. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But it's just one of those things we use both as a research tool to decide where we're going to invest our funds because we're a ministry focused on the persecuted church started by Brother Andrew over 65 years ago. And we want to continue that focus of strengthening the persecuted church wherever they are. So it's going to be a little bit interactive tonight. I'm going to talk about some countries. I'm going to show a short video. But I want you to feel free to ask questions, and we'll have some sp uh, official time for Q&A. But I'm not opposed if you just don't understand something I say and you want to raise your hand, we'll stop and talk about it. And we'll just be together as the body of Christ, talking about the body of Christ in other parts of the world. Okay? Is that okay with everybody? And if you spend most of your time just reading through the World Watch List booklet, fine with me. A lot of great information there. This is the first year uh, we've been doing this booklet for several years. This is the first time we've really made it into a prayer booklet. Before, it's mainly just been informational with some prayer information, but this one actually has 52 weeks going through the top 50 countries on our World Watch list and then a couple of other things where you can use it on a weekly basis to pray through the year for these countries where Christians are severely persecuted. So that's... That's where we are tonight. Let me just give you a few facts and figures uh, before we go through the PowerPoint a little bit. Some of the things that are different, one of the things we always look at from year to year is what's changed and see where the trends are, what's changing in the persecuted church. Like I say, when I first started, when Wilma and I first started with Open Doors, it was 1980, the height of the Iron Curtain. We were smuggling Bibles behind the Iron Curtain into the Soviet Union and all the Eastern Bloc nations. Nine years later, it all collapsed. Wow, that was, that was incredible. I still remember watching that day on television when people were climbing over the Berlin Wall. And I know many of you remember that. And we were just standing there with tears running down our eyes. Open doors, I don't know what this says about us, but in 1980, 1982, no, 1984, we started a seven-year prayer campaign for the church in the Soviet Union. It was just something Brother Andrew felt on his heart, and we began to pray, and we were going to pray for seven years. I don't know of anybody in Open Doors or any of our partners who were praying for the fall of the Iron Curtain. I don't think any of us thought that could ever happen, at least in our lifetime. So seven years later, when the Iron Curtain fell, we were a little bit ashamed of our lack of faith. 
Because God's always doing more than what we expect, isn't he? He's so much greater than what we believe him for. Yet he's so gracious to keep, just keep hanging on to us and moving us along. But a couple of things that have changed. One of the things, uh, let me see if, if you're looking in your, you'll see what it says here. Uh, Afghanistan overtakes North Korea as the world's most dangerous place to be a Christian. That's a little bit interesting the way it's worded because when it comes to Afghanistan and North Korea, there's not much difference as far as danger of being a Christian. Uh, for the last 20 years, North Korea has been number one on a world watch list. But now that the Taliban took over on, in August of last year, the violence has increased. I mean, it was always violent before in Afghanistan, but the violence against Christians has increased. And that kind of just pushed Afghanistan up a notch to be number one over North Korea. But when you're talking about the top 10 or 11 countries, none of them are good. It's not like some are really a lot better than others. There are extreme persecution taking place. So I want to make sure you're aware of that. Uh, this has increased. I think when we did this last year, we said 300 three, 320 or 30 million people were suffering high levels of persecution. Persecution is definitely increasing from the numbers that we can put together, which are pretty significant. So I wanted you to be aware of that. If anybody challenges you about whether persecution really exists or if it's increasing, just hand them the World Watch List booklet or give them our website or something like that. But it really is increasing, and we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters. Uh, those are just a couple of things I want you to be aware of. Here's a top ten, so you might want to be... Uh, you can see these in your booklet, but I thought maybe if we could all look at them together for a moment. You'll see Afghanistan's number one, North Korea, number two. Uh, then it goes on from there. Now, it, it's, a, it's one of those places where uh, sometimes countries will kind of move around, but it's rarely because things get better. It's usually because other countries get worse. So sometimes if you've been following this from years to year, year to year, you might have questions about something jumped up and something went down. But uh, usually it's just because things have gotten worse. One of the things, the trends that's happened in the last few years, but I'm sure as, as a church you're aware, is China has gotten progressively worse. There was a time China, China never dropped off the top 50, but there was a time it was down to the 20s, even into the 30s, because it was much more open. They were much more open to the churches existing, even though they've still put pressure. But then in the last few years, things have reversed themselves. As a ministry, we even had to... Uh, kind of relook at our budget again because we were reallocating budget from China into more difficult places. And then things turned around and we had to find budget to get back into China, not get back in, but at least expand the work more to what was going on. So those are the kind of things that we have to deal with as a ministry and I know you're probably conscious of here in, in what's going on. But just a few trends. Let me just read these and then we'll, we'll keep going here. A few trends that are noted in some of our literature, which you'll probably see. One is that the church faces an increased implementation of modern technology. Uh, one of the slides you'll see toward the end here is just one of those slides out of China where there's like 20 surveillance cameras on a pole. You're seeing a lot more surveillance in countries that have the technology and they're actually exporting it to other countries for use to, be to pay attention to not only their population <coughs> but also just surveil the church and be conscious of what's going on there. The church faces rising authoritarianism, something we can relate to a little bit in some ways, but not to the extent of, say, North Korea or places like that, where there's just a lot more people who want to be in authority and they don't care what it takes to get there. State and non-state actors have used the COVID crisis 
to weaken the church. God has worked in the other direction, but a lot of countries like India have really tried to take advantage of COVID to bring more oppression to the church and even incite violence against Christians and churches. A large proportion of the church is on the move. I mean, all you have to do is look at Afghanistan today. What Christians that were there, a lot of them have tried to flee. So there's a lot of Christian populations that are actually on the move. Uh, we've, we've talked about it for years, but it's more of a reality today than ever before. But a, lot of, a lot of church historians and, and experts on the Middle East have said that uh, in the next 30 years, there might not even be a church in the Middle East because of the different wars that take place there and just the pressure against the church, and their only real option is to move. Now, I don't... The Lord always has his church, but the reality is if you study history, there have been times in history where the church was literally wiped out or moved out to somewhere else. It's not unheard of, and it's something we as American Christians need to be aware of, that there are casualties in the spiritual battle. We can't take it for granted. We have to pray. We have to be involved. We have to do what God calls us to do where we are, and as a body, he continues to use us to make a difference. Islamic militancy has received a boost in Asia. You see more Islamic militancy in Asia, which hadn't been there for many years. Um, jihadism is, is expanding in sub-Saharan Africa. Now, Africa is one of those places where the church has grown dramatically over the last few decades. But it's also seeing a pushback from Muslim extremists who are pushing more into the south, and we'll talk about that a little bit with Nigeria. Uh, Criminal networks are expanding and spreading their wings as some of these authoritarian places come in or just chaos takes place. Then you see a lot more criminal networks who may not necessarily have a, a grudge against the church, but it's an easy target. Or they get in the way because they don't go along with the criminal gang. That happens all over the world. And one more, China is taking center stage on the international scene for a lot of different reasons, and it's not just the Olympics. Uh, Vladimir Putin is trying to take center stage as much as he can, but Xi Jinping in China is, is just like that, trying to, to make sure they can control their populations, keep the focus in places uh, that's off of them in some ways so that they can make sure that what they want to accomplish is accomplished. So those are just a, a few things that are, that are going on I wanted you to be aware of. You'll, you also will have a chance when you, when you leave, you can pick up one of these maps. You'll see the screen up here. Wilma and I, we usually put this in our laundry room where we can just pray uh, when you're doing daily things. This is the World Watch List map. So pick one of these up when you leave. There's a stack of them over there, and it'll give you something to pray about. And uh, no, It's just something to pray about for sure. When I first started with Open Doors, I was with the ministry maybe a few years, and I had met Brother Andrew once or twice when he would. I, was, I started out working in the northwest states in Washington State, and throughout Western Canada. And then we moved to Southern California and worked out of our national office there. And often Brother Andrew would come to visit. And one day he walked into my office uh, where I was kind of heading up some of our communications. And he looked around, and we didn't really know him. We knew each other by name, but we weren't best friends or anything. And he walked in, and he was just saying hello to all our staff, and we were fairly small. And he said, Jeff, where's your world map? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't have one. And he says, we have a vision for the world and for the persecuted church. How can you pray for the church if you don't have a world map? You know what I did that afternoon? I went out and got a world map. 
There was a Rand McNally store about 20 minutes from our office. This was long before the Internet. So I went and got a world map and put it in my office, and I've had one ever since. So if you don't have a world map, this can be your world map. So feel free to use it. Those are the kind of things we need to be aware of. But it talks, you'll see the different places. It's top 50 of our World Watch list numbered, and you can find them and pray through the World Watch booklet. Ah, Afghanistan. You know about Afghanistan. There's not a lot I can say that you don't already know. Some of the things I, I can say I've talked a little bit about on Wednesday, but as you know, things have gotten increasingly difficult. It's never been easy to be a Christian in Afghanistan because the church has always been, the church there comes out of a Muslim background. It's a Muslim country. And so once you become a Christian, the sentence for you is basically death. It's hard to exist at all, to function at all. Before the Taliban took over this most recent time, we estimated maybe there were 10,000 indigenous Christians in Afghanistan. They'd grown through the years, but slowly, because it was so dangerous. But now we know it's a lot less, but it's hard to get real data right now. But I wanted to read you a story. This was something that's so encouraged me. You may know this story, but there's never really been an indigenous church in Afghanistan to speak of. Um, Historically, there may be some pushback on that, but uh, I want to read you a story about Afghanistan. There was a missionary in Afghanistan, a man named Dr. Christy Wilson. Have you heard that name, anybody? Tremendous guy. He used to come to some of our Open Doors Directors Conferences and speak. He's a good friend of Brother Andrew. And I heard him tell this story the first time, probably in the early 1990s. But Dr. Wilson was a tent maker in Afghanistan in the what, 50s and 60s and 70s and up there. And uh, just the Lord used him to start an international church in, in Kabul and to minister to, to blind uh, people in Afghanistan who came to Christ. He was really quite instrumental in building the church in Afghanistan, the secret church in many cases. But this was something I'd never heard until he told it, and I was so blessed by it. But let me just kind of read this to you. It's not long. But it says, it's talking about, it says Christy, it says Christy Wilson. It says, in 1959, Christy learned he was, in, his, he was in Afghanistan. And Christie learned U.S. President Eisenhower was coming to Afghanistan on an Asian tour. So he wrote Dr. Edward Elson, whom he knew and who pastored the National Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., where President Eisenhower attended, 1959. A mosque had been built in Washington, D.C. for Muslim diplomats. So Christie Wilson asked Dr. Elson to forward a message to President Eisenhower. This was the message. Since a mosque has been built for Muslim diplomats, and Eisenhower had been invited to the opening of the mosque, on a reciprocal basis, we should have a church built here in Kabul for Christian diplomats. We have no place large enough where we can gather. Would you please ask the president, Eisenhower, to request permission from the king of Afghanistan? There was king at this point. Would you ask him permission when he visits Afghanistan. And President Eisenhower did. He visited Afghanistan, met with the king, asked him permission to build a church. Eventually, the CCCK, which, let me see, that's the Christian Community Church of Kabul, mainly for internationals. It wasn't for local Muslim converts or anything like that. Eventually, the, the Christian Community Church of Kabul was permitted to build the only Christian church building on neutral soil in Afghanistan which was completed in 1970. 
for use by the foreign community, not Afghans. But at least it was a church. On Sunday morning in 1973, three years after the building completion of the church, uh, that's what it says, only three years after the sanctuary's dedication, soldiers arrived and began to hack away at the wall between the street and the church building. One German Christian businessman went to the mayor of Kabul and said, if your government touches that house of God, God will overthrow your government. On July 17, 1973, the destruction of the church building was completed even up to 12 feet below the foundation. The government had received a police report that there was an underground church in Afghanistan, and since they didn't under understand the term, they dug 12 feet below the foundation looking for it. Christy Wilson and his wife Betty had been forced to leave Afghanistan four months before the church was destroyed, having been declared persona non grata by the Afghan government. His students were becoming followers of Christ, and certain Afghan officials were determined to rid themselves of the corrupting influence who was behind all this, Dr. Christy Wilson. On March 24, 1973, Christy and Betty departed Afghanistan, each carrying only a suitcase of personal belongings. They were leaving the land in which they had lived and ministered for 22 years. As they made their way to the airplane, Christy shook the dust from his feet. Just four months later, on Tuesday, July 17, 1973, Afghan soldiers completed their destruction of the church building. That very night, King Mohammed Zahir Shah, who had ruled for 40 years, was overthrown in a military coup, just like that German businessman had predicted. And the 227-year-old monarchy in Afghanistan came to an end forever. When Christie heard the news, he fell on the floor and wept. Most people don't know that there was ever any kind of a church building in Afghanistan. But being courageous can get some things done that we just don't see impossible, where it's the fall of the Berlin Wall or building a church in Kabul. Our God is greater than the evil one. And he can accomplish things if we'll just trust him in faith and follow him, won't he? I mean, you know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. But I, that, that story has always encouraged me to just, if you're not sure, just take a shot. Ask. You have not because you ask not, so we might as well ask. Uh, and let the Lord do what only he can do. And I want to encourage you to do that as we pray as well and think about those kind of things. So Afghanistan is obviously a difficult place. You, you've seen all these pictures like this. You've probably been a part of helping get uh, people out of Afghanistan. There's still need for that. Uh, open Doors, our role as a, as a ministry to the persecuted church, to strengthen the persecuted church, we've always just, from Brother Andrew all the way down, I've just tried to say, if you'll stay in the country, we'll do our best to stand with you. We don't want to see, we know sometimes all you can do is flee, and you have to flee just to save your life or the life of your family. But we try to encourage believers to stay where they are. And many believers have stayed in Afghanistan. And they're, they're either in hiding or really operating secretly. It is extremely dangerous. So I, if you just, whenever you see Afghanistan on the news or see it on something, just pray. Even if it's just for a second. Stand with the church there. Encourage them to just, encourage the Lord to stand with them. And we, we're doing that from different parts of the country around Afghanistan. But these are familiar scenes and something we don't really want to see much of 
anymore. So I'm not, we can talk more about Afghanistan later. I just want to hit a couple of countries before we show you a video and then we can have some Q&A. Uh, one of the things, you, countries you, you, hear, you can hear a lot about, especially in the north, is Nigeria. The 12 northern Nigerian states are very much involved in Sharia law or Islamic law. Quite difficult to be Christians there. The, you can see that the country itself is predominantly Christian, or at least half Christian. It's kind of like half Christian, half Muslim. But they have a strong church in the south. Uh, it does quite well. But the church in the north is under a lot of pressure from Muslim extremists. Most of the violent incidents, when we do the World Watch list and we talk about how many people are killed for their faith, Nigeria is always the highest. Martyrs that we can actually document is in Nigeria. Most people don't know that or think about that. But in the north of Nigeria, it's very difficult to be a Christian. And you can see it says there Islamic oppression is the primary reason because of that Sharia law in the northern states of Nigeria. So we want to encourage your prayer for Nigeria and read through that prayer booklet and be thinking about uh, how you can pray for it. Churches uh, can be destroyed. You can see one here. Uh, just for no reason whatsoever other than it's a church and it's an easy target. And this is true all over the world. So I want to just make you aware of those kind of things. India is something that's it's number 10 on our World Watch list. You can see the, the list there. India is one of those places that is bills itself as the largest democracy in the world. But since uh, Prime Minister Modi came to power in, 19, um, in 2014, I believe, uh, definitely Hindu extremism has put more and more pressure on the church. He came in under that banner of Hindutva, which basically means India is a Hindu country. And so to be Indian, you should be Hindu. Just like if you're a Muslim, you should be in a Islamic world. There's no converting. And he came under that banner to put pressure and to try to control the masses. And uh, it's really putting great pressure on the church and Muslim population as well in India. They've suffered too. So uh, India is a, a really difficult place. Um, I want to show you a short video, just a moment, about a, a young family. This is a dramatization of a, a young family whose, whose husband, a pastor, was killed. And this is about an eight-minute video that kind of just dramatizes what they went through, it's a true story, but these are not the actual people in it. It's dramatized. But it also, you'll see people like me and you praying from little prayer cards. I, we don't have those prayer cards, but the, it's just to visualize that what happens when we pray. So that's what this video is about. I think you'll enjoy it. I trust it will have the audio and everything. Well, if not, we'll, I'm pretty informal, so if it doesn't work the first time, we'll just keep going until we get it to work or we'll do something else. So we're going to give this video a try, and I hope you enjoy it. Like I said, it's about, about eight minutes long. Why? 
watch over her, give her all the protection she needs from all of the dangers that surround her. Please take care of her. faith. I pray that you would keep her faith strong. Lord, give her courage. Let her know, Lord, that there are other believers around the world that are praying for her. We pray, Father, that you will continue to keep her strong.
presence. In your mercies, hear our prayer. Lord, give her courage. Hear our prayer. You know, there's a lot we can do for persecuted Christians to help them, but prayer is so important because some things only the Lord can do. The healing that's needed is not something we have the power to do. We can just provide the resources, and that's why we encourage you to pray for believers. And this is just an example. I hope you kind of take a visual with you as you go uh, to remind us to pray. If you go to opendoorsusa.org website, there's a lot of other videos you can watch there and Lots of other resources to help kind of remind you and visualize. Not a lot of you know this personally, and you've been there, so you've got your own people that you think about. But India is such an important place. It's like China. It's so huge population-wise. Even though the percentage of Christians is small, it's still millions of Christians that are suffering for their faith. So we need to be praying for India. <coughs> China, I'll just mention last, and we'll have some time for Q&A if you want to do that. Um, you know a lot about China, but um, we see it on the news all the time. Uh, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to read that for you. I don't know if you can read that. It's kind of small. The source of persecution. When you read through the World Watch list in the booklet, you'll see we have different spheres of influence we do research on and talk about sources of persecution and persecution engines. This says the source of persecution is communist and post-communist oppression. It's still a communist country, and there's still that desire for control. Uh, the leader is President Xi Jinping, which you see on the news quite often. Uh, population is 1.428 million. 
and approximately 100 million Christians. Now, it's hard to measure Christians in China. There's been a lot of numbers tossed around, but you can be assured that probably the greatest revival in the history of the church has taken place in China since the since Chairman Mao came to power in 1949 and the Cultural Revolution took place there in the 60s to 70s that really just almost it looked like it destroyed the church. And then when things began to open up, found that the Lord had been doing a deep work in the church in China. And they're still growing off that. Uh, one of the things I remember, I think I'm going to mention this on Wednesday, was that I remember I've been to China several times through the years in my work with Open Doors. And I could see kind of a progression from a very rural uh, agrarian society. When Wilma and I made our first trip, it was in 1980 to China, just on a three-day tour. And we visited a commune. Those of you who are old enough, you can still see the commune. You remember the communes, and it was all agriculture, and that's how they survived. Well, they've, you know what it's like now. They're high-tech, high-surveillance, very capitalistic in many ways, and yet that's a, it's still a challenge to be a Christian there. So I want to encourage your prayer for the church in China just for that reason. This was one of these photographs I really liked. This was taken in China. This is just, you know, kind of a typical, we go out and you go through a traffic light and you see maybe a camera on a thing. This is more typical in China where you might see 10 or 20 cameras of different types of surveillance going on. And I think as I mentioned on Wednesday, there's definitely a move. I think there's a, a, a regulation of some type coming into effect on March 1st where they want cameras in all the churches. And they've been moving toward that way anyway, and that's happening already. But they want to know what's going on. China has always wanted to control its population, and it's got a huge population to control. And so they do whatever they can to make sure they're the ones who are in They don't like any kind of thing that they can construe as a political movement that can cause problems. And 100 million people, Christians, if they were to be a movement, they see that as a problem. Now, the Christians themselves are not that political. They're not trying to take over anything. They just want to live their lives like you and me. But the Chinese government sees them as a threat. So that's why they suffer like they do and why the surveillance is so important. So those are just some highlights. I, I really wanted to make sure you just got the World Watch List booklets into your hand tonight so that you can pray out of those and be aware of what's going on. The one thing I want to mention before we do some Q&A is at the very back of the booklet on the inside back page, it just talks about our prayer app. We've had this for several years now. We just recently redesigned it. This is just something you can sign up for. You give us your email address, and then when there's a prayer need, you, the prayer app just notifies you, and you can go to the app and pray for that situation. You may get one a day. You may get two or three a week, but it's just prayer requests for the persecuted church, something that's come from our research department, and it's just on an app. So it's, it's easy to download. It's free, uh, and it'll notify you. You can get set up there, and I would encourage you to download that prayer app and use it. Wilma and I both do it. And uh, it's it's kind of tough at times because sometimes you're going, Lord, another prayer request? But it just reminds us of how great the need is. And we need to take it seriously and pray. Amen? I know this is a praying church and a going church. So let's take a few moments. If you've got questions or maybe you have comments, I know this church has, has missionaries in different parts of some of the really difficult places in the world. You may have a good testimony we need to hear. You may have a question for me, which I... I'll probably ask Wilma to answer because I can't answer it, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But let's take a few moments for questions or comments. If you have a question or comment, just raise your hand. I'll come by and you can say it in the mic. There's somebody calling in already to ask a question. <laughs> um, I, you 
I know that in the north of Nigeria, there's a lot of persecution, but you said that now in India, which has historically, I think, been much more Christian in the south, right? Are they, is this new oppression that they're suffering there with under Modi, is it stronger in one part than another? That's my question. You know, I'm not an expert on India. There are sections where it's stronger, but I'm not sure exactly whether it's south or north because I, I can know some of the states, but I'm not, I don't have that kind of a visual memory that says, well, that's a southern state or a northern state. But there is different pockets of persecution, but it's fairly pervasive throughout. And Modi has encouraged that because of some of the legislation and because he's, as the, as the leader of the country, if he says we're Hindu, then he's basically giving permission for all the other government authorities, especially at the local level, to persecute Christians or Muslims even because there's no recourse. There's no redress if they do something. If they do persecute, they're just following Modi's order. So that's where the trouble... It's, it's been difficult in India for many, many years in lots of different places. A lot of violent incidents, but it's greatly increased with Modi pretty much throughout the country. There are some places that are, have higher Christian populations. I think the north is part of that, too, where there some, are some stronger Christian populations. But still, that's also where persecution takes place now. You don't necessarily have the protection you used to have. Other questions, comments? Jeff, as we look at the um, possibilities for Christians ministering in these places, obviously Open Doors does what uh, you are able to to support Christians that are in some of these countries already. And um, prayer, obviously we see that as a, a primary motivator for us to be involved. Uh, but what other kinds of things can Christians do? Some countries I imagine they can't get into in any way, shape, or form. But there are many of these nations where Christians can go, and we've seen some of our own go in as English teachers. They've gone in with specific skills like medicine. Uh, we had a doctor that was in the Horn of Africa in a very closed country who went in as a medical doctor. They need his skills. What are some other kinds of ways Christians can actually get into these countries to support whatever church is there or begin to build a church? Yeah, I almost feel like I should ask you that question because at TCF, you guys are really good at getting people into places through medical missions and you've got contacts and things like that. Any way you can get into a country, you can minister. Now, the, a lot of these countries we're talking about, you couldn't go officially on a missionary visa, you couldn't go on a religious visa or those kind of things, but you could go as a businessman or a, a medical person or you can do relief work or there's other there's lots of kind of ways. You just have to kind of look for those opportunities. At Open Doors, we don't really look for people to send into those countries. We're trying to build up the church from the inside and strengthen them. So we might have people going in occasionally, but we're not just sending people in and out all the time because that exposes the church too much. But you're already there in some kind of a capacity that's official. You can really take advantage of that. So I would just, I don't have a lot of specifics I could give you, but there are a lot of those out there. And at TCF, you know all about a lot of those things. So you would be able to plug in people in different ways to go. But I would encourage anybody, if you've got a chance to go somewhere, even if you're just going on a tourist trip, there's nothing like getting exposure to another country. Even if you don't have contacts there, the Lord can arrange contacts for you. That's how Brother Andrew started. He just went and the Lord provided people and built networks. And uh, sometimes it just takes a step of faith to get out there. So we're always encouraged people to pray. And uh, I always, uh, I think I said it Wednesday night, Wilma and I have just learned that prayer is the most critical thing. That's where the spiritual battle is fought. 
It doesn't matter really how many trips you take. If you don't have a good solid prayer grounding that's kind of, it's almost like a, it's almost like an aerial bombardment that you send in before you send in the troops. You soften the ground through prayer. And then when you do go, there's fruit that can be taken there. And the Lord will do things because the soil is prepared. But prayer is so key. So never minimize if you say, well, all I can do is pray. Then you definitely are on the right track. And there's always more we can do. But usually we skip prayer and go to the more. We need to really stick with the prayer because that's where, that's where it really happens. Someday I think we'll see that in a bigger way than we see today. But uh, we've just seen it personally in our own life and, and those we've been in contact with. So not a lot of specifics, but there's, there are opportunities. Other questions? Anyone else? So I, I kind of think of like what in, in what ways can we learn and how can we prepare, I guess, as a global body of Christ to see how persecution is taking place in certain countries and we think, you know, we feel really convenient and comfortable here. But, like, how can we prepare? And Nigeria came to mind particularly because it is such a large Christian population there and even, like, government officials, but yet they're still, you said it's the number one, like, Christian persecuted or martyrs. So, yeah, so just seeing, like, how can the global body prepare? What can we learn? I think the first thing we we can learn is you can never be fully prepared (laughs) for it. It's just like anything. Until you experience it yourself, it's hard to really put yourself in those shoes. One of the, some of the things we do is to help prepare the church for persecution. We have different types of training programs, and so we call well, one we call standing strong through the storm. But it's just basic discipleship. It's not anything that's unique in the sense of you know if you do this, you'll be prepared for persecution. It's really what we all need to do. That's learn how to walk closely with Jesus, spend time with Him every day, spend time in His Word, grow in our own faith, be courageous where we are. We don't really know what he's going to bring our way, do we? We don't know what's going to happen tonight or tomorrow uh, in any one of our lives. So creating that space for Jesus to walk with him, to hear his voice, is really what we can do to prepare. Because when you're spending time in prayer and you start to listen a little more closely to his voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit, he may remind you of this video in India to pray for that you saw tonight or something you're reading in the World Watch list, or you have you have exposure to all kinds of things here at TCF. So that's the main way you can prepare is just be a follower of Jesus right where you are and being faithful wholeheartedly to him. It's really the best you can do, and to support each other, to make sure you're staying in fellowship. All the basics of the Christian life is what we need to do. That's when you go to the persecuted church, like we've done many times, you start learning that, that persecution what often does is it pushes out all those things that we tend to depend on. And all you're left with is Jesus. And we need to find ways to make sure we start there and not try to not finally get there after we've gone through all the other things that we want to hang on to or depend on. When I, every year, I uh, probably for about the last 15 years, I ask the Lord to give me a theme verse for the year. And sometimes it's kind of a general thing. And sometimes it doesn't seem to even mean much for that year, but it just felt like that was the verse he gave me in, in December for the coming year. Sometimes it's the most, it's something I've had to hang on to. Remember a few years ago, I was just praying and said, Lord, what, what's kind of the theme for next year for me? Not for the ministry, not for my family even necessarily, but that obviously impacts my family. And he gave me one of those verses, uh, I don't remember where it was now, but it's a story in the Gospels 
where Jesus walks. The disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee in the boat, and Jesus is on the shore, and he's watching them. You know, you know the story. And he comes walking to them on the water, and they think he's a ghost. And he says, don't be afraid. I think it's the, the New Living Translation, but it says, don't be afraid. Jesus speaks to the disciples and says, don't be afraid, it's me. And I really felt like that was the word for me. Don't be afraid, it's me. And it was amazing how many things happened that year that I'm thinking, what is going on? And it's like Jesus said, don't be afraid, it's me. It doesn't look like me, but it really is me. I'm doing something. You don't understand it now, but you're going to figure it out later. And uh, this year, it was just a, it's, a, it's a weird verse out of Second Chronicles that just says, be strong and courageous and your work will be rewarded. Second Chronicles 15.7, I think it is. And I, I thought that can't be a verse. Everybody wants a verse where your work's going to be rewarded. I mean, if I tell people that, they're going, oh, yeah, sure. You just want the reward verse. But it was really clear. I don't even know what that means. And I'm kind of in a position now in my life where if I'm going to get rewards, it's going to have to come from the Lord because I'm not going to get them anywhere else at this point in my life. But that's my verse. Be courageous. You know what that's meant for me? It's just meant making phone calls when I need to make a phone call or going to see somebody when I feel like the Lord wants me to go and see them. It's just being courageous in the little things for me. If I know somebody's suffering, I go help them instead of going, well, I'll do it tomorrow. It's taking the, having the courage to just step out. Sometimes I've wanted to say, well, Wilma, she's really good at making phone calls if you've got to call the electric, electric department or something like that or the Department of Motor Vehicles or somebody you don't want to talk to or your cable company or whatever you got. But I know some, some of those things are my responsibility and I can't default and let her do them when it's my responsibility. So it's just being courageous in little things. It, it has been so much fun. I'll give you an example. Uh, Wilma's brother... I had a stroke not long ago. Thankfully, he's doing really well. He was in the hospital in Dallas for a while. Now he's doing some rehabilitation. But we went to the hospital to visit him, and the hospital would only let one person to visit him. And of course, Wilma's his sister, so she went up to visit him. And I just kind of hung on outside. It's Parkland Hospital in Dallas, big hospital downtown Dallas. There's a lot of homeless people around Parkland Hospital. So I thought, I could go sit in the car, and just kind of avoid everybody and let her text me when she comes out. But there's all these guys around there. So I just thought the Lord was saying, be courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do it. It's kind of what I felt like. So these guys, I just went out and started engaging them in conversation. And I had, she was up there about an hour. I had the best time talking to these guys about the Lord and finding out about their lives and what was going on with them. And they were, I mean, most of them, I'm going to tell you, most of them were cons. But it was so entertaining to just talk to them. And that's not something that comes easy for me. Because uh, you know, I'm thinking, I, I don't know if I should be doing this or what's going to happen. It did cost us $40, though, didn't it? I mean, we were just having, I was having fun and talking to them. And they were, I was just trying to see how far they would try to take me to get money and things like that. But some of them were really serious. And just really, a couple of them were real brothers. I mean, they, I don't think they just knew the right words, although I think they... We're pretty good at knowing the right Christian words to say about being blessed and things. But it was just a fun thing. But for me, that was just kind of a daily thing now is where can I be courageous? And that's what we need to do in relation to the persecuted churches. Where Sometimes it's just being more specific in our prayers and being more intentional about finding out what's going on. But that's where we start, just that relationship with Jesus and walking with him every day. He only knows if persecution is going to come here and how soon. And, 
as we band together as believers and stand together in strength, that's where you can really find the strength. Because you're going to need that support if persecution does come to Tulsa. And in some ways it's already here, but not like in India or in China or in North Korea yet. But we need to be praying. Yes. I noticed there's only one South American country on your list, and I wondered why it was on the list. That's Colombia. Yeah, it's been on the list for a long time, mainly because it's still, there's still quite a bit of guerrilla insurgency there, combined with a lot of the drug cartels and things that put pressure on the church. So that, that's a primary reason. Uh, I don't, does it say, what was the number? Oddly enough, I don't have this booklet memorized. Uh, you'd think so by now. That's what I like about having the book. I was really afraid they didn't come until the day, and I thought, man, I'm going to have to know all the answers. But I, the book's here. I can just turn there, and you can see. Uh, why is Columbia on the World Watch list? Last year, I saw protests in Colombia, partly against corruption and controversial government treasure measures. Christian leaders were among those who supported the demonstrators, which led to threats and violence. Violence remains high seven Christians killed for their faith between January and September 2021. So you can read through there and you can get a lot of information. I've, I've been to Columbia a few times. Uh, some of the guerrilla insurgency has eased because of some of the peace treaties that have been made with the government uh, and the guerrilla groups, but there's still a lot of insurgency that happens and there's still a lot of uh, criminal elements that put pressure on the church. But I remember, um, I don't know if you remember, what year was it? Wycliffe Bible translators had some missionaries kidnapped in Colombia, and I'm not good with the dates, but we went and visited their, their place in Loma Linda before they closed it where some of those missionaries were, were well, Ray Rising was one who was uh, kidnapped there, and I can remember standing at the gate where he was kidnapped, and we were talking about it, and we actually went out into the jungle that day to meet with some of these ex-guerrillas who had come to Jesus. And we're meeting in this little shack during the day because you'd never go out there at night. We weren't too far away from the compound, but far enough to get into trouble. And so, but what I remember about that meeting was that there was these young guys who had all been uh, ex-guerrilla insurgents there in Colombia fighting for what they believed was right. And they'd all come to Jesus. And they'd almost to a letter, all of them had been, their job had been as assassins. They were literally, they were to go and kill other guerrillas in the different groups, our government soldiers, our paramilitaries, because there was three or four different groups that fought each other in Colombia and still do to some extent. And I thought, I'm sitting here, and our team leader there in Colombia was hacking, having them go around, share their testimonies. And they would share their testimonies. And I'm sitting here in the midst of these guys, I'm going, what in the world am I doing here? These guys literally were all murderers. And they had just bound themselves up in demonic oaths for protection. I mean, they had gone deep into the demonic world because that's the only way they could survive in the violent life that they lived. And yet the Lord had delivered them. And the interesting thing about it is that every one of them to a man wanted to go right back into the jungle and share their faith. I mean, they had been transformed by Jesus. And they, we had to literally prevent them from going back in because we knew they would be immediately killed if they just went back in enthusiastically and started sharing their faith, they'd just be shot dead. They needed to be trained. They needed to be prepared. They needed to understand what the situation was and learn from others who had done the same thing. But that's, that's a little bit of my experience in Colombia. So I don't know if that answers your question. But there's still some difficulties, especially in the rural areas, 
uh, with insurgents and criminal elements, and it put pressures on puts pressure on the church, and it's never really been solved like it you'd hope it would be. Yeah, Joel. Saudi Arabia, they just missed the top 10. They're number 11. Yeah, I'm sure they're really sad about that, too, that they didn't make the top 10. I don't have any recent updates. Are you aware of anything that's going on there? Uh, uh, I know that uh, many Indian countries work in Saudi as nurses and uh, uh, do a, a tremendous work, but I, I just wondered if you'd heard anything recently about maybe among uh, Saudi uh, uh, actually, the the main uh, ruling people and yeah. Saudis themselves. I've heard just bits and pieces through the years. Obviously, the bulk of the church in Saudi Arabia are expatriate guest workers from Philippines or Africa or other places that you know go there to make money and send it back to the families because of the wealth in that country. But we've heard uh, we've heard a number of reports. Obviously, there's a number of Saudis who have come to the Lord themselves out of their Muslim backgrounds. And we've even heard some things about uh, what's happening in some of the ruling, the, the monarchy there of uh, women and others who have come to the Lord. And that's obviously, I don't know details, and it's very secret, and it's not the kind of thing you could even talk about if you knew. But there are, it's, that's the kind of thing, when you look at a country like Saudi Arabia, you kind of look forward to the Lord coming back and showing you what happened and all that was going on behind the scenes. Because you know there's just a whole undercurrent of, of the Holy Spirit working there that uh, you're going to go, Wow. And I was praying this, and he was already doing this, and but he was working with, in partnership with us to see things accomplished. But I think like you, we've just heard good things are happening, but it's still a really difficult area. Any other questions? Ladies first. Um, so you kind of answered this a little bit earlier, but I wanted to ask if you think that the U.S. is on its way to being on this list. Yeah. Uh, let me, I'm going to preface my answer with a story because I remember I, when I first started with Open Doors, I would go out and do meeting after meeting all over the Northwest and Western Canada. And we had some great, we just met great people all over. And I think the thing I hated the worst at the end of a meeting, we'd be pouring out our hearts about the persecuted church and showing slideshows. We didn't have videos back then. We are showing slideshows and stuff and just talking about persecuted Christians we'd met and having speakers come over. And almost every third meeting, I have somebody come up and said, well, some guy would come up to me and get right in my face and say, we can't worry about those guys. We got persecution right here in America. And every one of them, I wanted to just smack and say, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. And I didn't really know that much about what I was talking about either, but I knew more than he did. And so I always, I've always been a little bit traumatized when somebody says about coming here. The reality is, though, is that with the pluralistic society we're involved in now, the political correctness of all that's going on, Europe is a little bit ahead of us, maybe five or ten years right now, of what's going on with just regulations making everything true. Now, you hear people say, my truth now, my truth, my truth, I really hate that. I, I, just, I, get, I just bristle when I hear somebody say my truth because we all know there's only one truth. But in our world, everybody has their own truth and, and with the, the way things are working, we're supposed to just let everybody live their truth. It doesn't make any sense when you look at it in that way, but that's the way it is. So to answer your question, I'd say, yes, at some point it's going to come here. I don't if the Lord tarries and lets things go like they are. That just seems to be the way it's worked historically. 
whether it'll be in 10 years or 100 years or next week, things can change dramatically as we know, uh, like we saw with COVID. But things can happen. So yeah, I think eventually it's going to come here. But uh, it, Europe is kind of the place to watch. And actually we're seeing some things, some really good things happen in Europe as far as people coming to the Lord and kind of redoing. So it could be just something the Lord is using to wake us up and maybe he's going to use us in a different way in this country. But yeah, I think it's the kind of thing we should at least be aware of. The last thing we could do, and I've heard this all over the world, is the last thing to do is say it'll never happen here. When you start saying that, hang on, it's coming. But that's kind of that head in the sand kind of thing, so we do need to be aware and in, in, in reality. But not, not afraid. Uh, God uses persecution. Jesus said you'll be persecuted, so why worry about it? He said it's going to happen. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. That just shows you're walking with Jesus. It's a good thing. I mean, the New Testament, everybody rejoices when they're persecuted. We just can't quite get there yet, but uh, maybe we will someday. It's something we can learn from the persecuted church. Those are great questions. Would you say that since Saudi Arabia is an open country, that's largely due to a lot of the houses of prayer there? I'm sorry, can you ask that again? I'm not quite sure I understand the question. So Saudi Arabia was a closed country. Now it's an open country. Do you think it's because of the underground church and the houses of prayer there? Yeah, well, I wouldn't agree that it's an open country. I mean, it's still number 11. It's one of the most extremely persecuted countries in the world. So it's definitely not open. I mean, you can go there. You can't go to Mecca, but you can go to Riyadh if you want. But it's not open to Christianity. You can't go in there and preach the gospel. You can't go stand on the sidewalk and tell people about Jesus. Uh, They just won't let you do it. So it's definitely not an open country. There are ways to do things, but you have to be really careful. That kind of response, okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's not open for sure. So I, I've heard stories in the past of uh, people who've been sent to prison for their faith and uh, receiving just an outpouring of, like, letters to the prison, you know, where people just from all over the world just flooded them with encouraging letters or whatever, and, and it actually, I'm sure it helped them feel less alone. You know, because I have a feeling a lot of these people just feel very alone. Um, do you know of ways, I mean, I know there are financial ways we can give to organizations like Open Doors and others who physically put things into their hands to support them, like we saw in that video. Yeah. It, but are well, there are there are ways that, like, I don't know, just where they can hear our voice, or even if it's in writing, where they can know they're not alone? Yeah, we're working on some of that. If you sign up for the prayer app, occasionally you'll see a place where it says if you want to write a certain thing, send it here, a certain believer to encourage them. Or there's places we have a prayer wall on the prayer app. And a lot of times if it's a place where we can take in those, print those things out and take them in, we'll give it to people who are going into those countries. So you'll, there are opportunities for that. We're also looking into how to do some of the technology like you're talking about to actually record things. People can hear. Now, sometimes you're talking about language issues that they might not be able to understand what you say. But we have a, we have a friend, Wilma and I, her name is Takush Hovsepian, 
And I don't know if you know uh, the story of her husband, Haikov Sepian Mer, an Iranian pastor, was killed in 1994, I think it was, martyred in Iran for his faith. He was a leader of the, of the Protestant churches in Iran and very outspoken for, about the church and what was going on there. Several Christians, several, I think four different Christian leaders were killed in 1994 in Iran. And Takush was the, the wife of, of Haik. And she eventually, with her children, uh, immigrated to the U.S. just because of the pressure on the church and on them specifically. And I remember we got, they live in, uh, in the L.A. area now and have their own ministry back into Iran. And uh, one day uh, we got to go up there and visit them. Were you with me when I went to her? Yeah. We were together and went to visit her and her, her, her boys because we were doing some video productions together and I was kind of in charge of it. And we had lunch together. But one of the things she always talks about, and when she was under so much pressure after her husband's death, we had her letter-writing campaign, and she was showing us pictures of just how she hung up all these letters all around the room in her house in Tehran. And I thought, I mean, you could just see how much that ministered to her as a believer. So that is an important thing to do, and we try to facilitate that when, whenever we can. But I hadn't really, I just thought it's a good idea until we went and heard her speak firsthand about, I mean, it really kept her alive in a place that she didn't know if she wanted to be alive. Her husband had been martyred, but she had children as well. So, yeah, it's a great idea. Other questions? Those are great questions. Thanks for doing that. I wonder if we could just uh, pray for a moment. That would be okay, James? Go right ahead. Um, Let's just spend a few minutes in quiet together. You might want to pray for Kirti. Uh, it's a real person in India. That wasn't her on the screen, but it is a real person. Uh, you can pray for her. You can pray for somebody out of the world. Watch this. But just take a moment to pray uh, quietly together, and then I'll, uh, I'll bring my time to a close, and then, James, I'll turn it back over to you. But let's just, just take a few moments to think of our brothers and sisters, to thank the Lord for them, to lift them up however the Holy Spirit leads you. And um, just ask for strength and courage for us to keep praying and not to get distracted by uh, less important things. So let's, uh, let's just pray quietly for a moment. Lord Jesus, your majesty, we want to acknowledge again tonight that your ways are just so much higher than our ways and your thoughts greater than our thoughts, as your word says. I remember you told Isaiah to not think like other, people's th other people think. Help us to do that, too. We don't want to think like the world thinks. We don't even want to think in some ways like the church thinks. We want to have your mind on all these things. Think like you think. Have your heart for each other. 
and for our persecuted brothers and sisters. It's not an easy place to get to, but you're patient, Lord. You work with us. You help us get there. You remind us of the needs, and you uh, initiate some of the prayers that even we think we're thinking of, but they're coming from you. So we ask you, Lord, to do that continued deep work in our heart to not only draw us close to yourself, but allow your love to be poured out in us in such a way that it can't help but overflow onto those around us and overflow with a heart of compassion for our brothers and sisters who suffer who are suffering today for the faith. Kirti is a good example. I can always visualize there from that video what a terrible thing she's had to suffer and she's still dealing with the trauma and yet, Lord, you're there. She's never gone anywhere where you were absent. There's no, there's no time you didn't have your eye on something else and took it off of her. That's the same with us. So help us just to walk faithfully with you every day, looking to you for all things, keeping our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. May our faith be authored and perfected these days and grown and strengthened. I know sometimes that comes with testing, but Lord, even in the midst of that, you're right there with us bringing us to where we need to be. So I really want to thank you for my brothers and sisters here at Tulsa Christian Fellowship, others who are here tonight or maybe listening to this at some point. We are so grateful to be part of your body. I can't thank you enough for that. So we bless you, Lord. We, we worship your name tonight and just pray for continued strength to honor you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Thank you. James. Jeff, thank you so much. Isn't it, isn't it a good thing to hear uh, what God's doing around the world and to have such good information? 